in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. Let's do it. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as the No Breakfast Guy. And I hope you're doing what you love with the people that you love. And let's just jump straight into it. So today I have a guest, Louise, all the way from the UK. And um, I think she's got a phenomenal Instagram page. And I guess that's how we connected um, through Instagram. Um, she left a very lovely comment on one of my stories uh, or posts, I think it was. Um, and I kind of delved into her uh, Instagram page and found out um, that, you know, we have some like-minded, um, I guess, passions in life and, you know, talking very heavily on, you know, increasing people's focus and energy and move and um, decreasing you know, anxiety and depression and fatigue. Um, and while I come from the exercise, being an exercise physiologist kind of um, stream of it, um, Louise is very much from the food side and nutrition side. And so I thought she'd be a fantastic guest to come on. So Louise, that's my introduction for you, but um, I'm sure you've got plenty more to say, but um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That was a really nice introduction. Makes me feel good about myself. Um, yeah. I, was just, I was trying to think actually how I found you originally. And yeah, it was that post that I saw of yours. I actually accidentally clicked on it thinking it was going to be something else. And I was like, oh, here we go. It's going to be another, this food's bad to eat. This food's good to eat. And I was like, oh God, here we go. Why did I even click on that? And then I saw it was completely different. I was like, thank God, this guy gets it. So instantly I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with what you do. Fantastic. Well, yeah, I, I certainly appreciate you uh, leaving that comment and kind of coming through. Um, and yeah, seeing that uh, I wasn't just some jock kind of saying, eat these things, don't eat these things. So, um, so yeah, I guess it uh, connected our worlds. But I guess with everyone going through um, good times, bad times, and you know, it being that roller coaster ride of the highs and lows being so much more these days around the world. Um, before we kind of dive, I guess, into that heavy stuff and kind of whatnot, I guess, where does the world find you? I mean, like, what's your daily um, life consist of? Where did you come from? What's your background? Kind of tell you, I guess, everyone uh, listening in a bit more about you and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, so at the moment, I am in the UK. And if anyone's in the UK, they'll know what kind of state we're in at the moment. <laughs> we're in the third lockdown, third lockdown since um, coronavirus. And we just, we made you know i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on this show but we yeah, made quite a big yeah. mess of it. we made an absolute shit show of it in the uk <laughs> um, so yeah i'm currently furloughed from my job we have the furlough scheme luckily which has been like it's just been an absolute godsend for me um because you know i'm still getting some of my wages so i'm very very privileged but my day job is that i work in a gym usually in london so i work in the fitness industry I'm constantly surrounded by fitness, you know, that whole world. And it's just, it's just been so interesting to see how things have kind of fallen apart over the last year and how things have changed so much. Um, but about me personally, I'm in Somerset at the moment, which is my hometown. It's quite a small town and that's where I grew up. And then I've lived in London for about the last five years and it's been definitely quite a roller coaster with my own mental health. So that's why I'm very passionate. Like my, my whole thing is teaching people to train their mental fitness and look after their mental health. Um, it's been a very drastic sort of journey for me in moving to London and everything sort of came crashing down. The first few times I moved there, I was having panic attacks, you know, really bad anxiety, 
and looking back to that person I was then I'm just a completely different person it's not even the same person so yeah I, my whole thing is kind of teaching people that they have a lot more power than they realize on over their mood and over their actions and you know things that they can do to actually make themselves a lot better so yeah um, that's a little bit about me. Now, I appreciate you being um, honest and open with that. And I know we kind of spoke about that a bit in, you know, when we're just going backwards and forwards and DMs in that the stigma around mental health yeah. and things these days. And, you know, it's obviously in a much better place than it was, um, but it's still very much sometimes just, oh, can we just dust that underneath the rug a little bit? We don't want to kind of talk about that. And people sometimes feel like they don't want to share that. And yet sometimes probably the best thing you can do is probably share um, your story with people. And I obviously you can tell us yeah. how much you want to, but was you know, those times that you did move to the UK, um, you know, were there precipitating things about the, I guess, the big smoke, the big city that kind of led you down feeling those panic attacks and feeling the way you did? And like, I guess, how did you find yourself in the place that you are now in a much better place? Yeah, definitely. I think if anyone knows the kind of London lifestyle, you'll be able to relate. Like, it's very easy to get into a mentally unwell sort of state in, the, in that it's that fast pace of life. It's very high pressure, you know, obviously very expensive so you have to you have to earn more to be able to live well and it's really tough you know to sort of start a whole new life and I was kind of I was kind of spiraling out of control without really noticing it I never used to be able to learn how to check in with my body and even down to things like my breathing I'd be on the underground on the tube going to work and I'd nearly be getting myself into a panic attack state but I never thought to think about how I was breathing how I was moving how I was looking after my body and the whole irony of the whole of the situation is that most of my jobs have been in the fitness industry. So I realized what an enormous disconnect there can be between fitness and health, because you're surrounded by people who look incredibly healthy. And I looked very healthy from the outside, but I really, really wasn't. So it's been like, it's just been such an interesting learning curve. But yeah, definitely those lifestyle factors aggravated it a lot. Um, but on the flip side, I moved away from London back home a few times because it got so bad and quit. I quit a few jobs. And then when I realized by taking those stresses away, you're kind of left with no challenge. So it's, it's being able to find a nice balance because obviously stress actually drives action. It's just about having the right amount, and not too much. That's a really interesting point you bring, um, bring up and um, I'm glad you kind of went there because um, myself, uh, you know, I've been running my business for, almost 15 years now um, and it was probably 10 years into running my clinic that you know I, I had a child on the way and um, I had I was in the process of writing my book and it was just kind of and still running my business on the back end of that and it was as you said that balance of I, I love the fast pace of a big smoke and I've lived in Melbourne my entire life we've now just moved to Perth um, and I ch was just always chasing that next, you know, that next big kick of dopamine. You know, I needed more. I needed more. And I loved that. But yeah, I just obviously put that over the top um, with all of the things that were going mm. on with the family growing. And we took a whole year off and moved to France. Um, and just, I, I it wasn't a holiday that I needed. I needed to just, I need to get out of this and just kind of shut down. But within about six weeks of kind of moving um, to France, we had a one-year-old at the time then. So she was born and we, she was one and my book was released and it was done. And I'm like, okay, I need to get out of here and um, shut down kind of thing. So left the business behind year off, but within about six weeks, like the kind of, you know, I was doing nothing and kind of six weeks had kind of gone by and that kind of holiday period had kind of disappeared. And it was like, okay, I got another 10 months here kind of thing. Like 
what am I going to do with my life? I need something to kind of do. And so I guess that's where I started the whole no breakfast guy Instagram page and thought, oh, if I just post one thing a day, I can post something, it'll help someone and it gives me something to do. And yeah. to your point is that I just needed something to do. I'm not, not necessarily there was a stress, but there was a timetable to it. There was an accountability to it. And it kind of just got me rolling from there. And I think, yeah, as you said, finding that balance is really important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when I say stress, sorry, I always go into like neurobiology terms. I mean, stress on the body, like as in not, not a bad stress, a positive stress. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think yeah, there's such that, a like challenge. There's such a negative, I guess, um, you know, association with the word stress these days because, you know, so, so many yeah. people live stressed lives that people, as soon as they say stress, people just go instantly, oh, you're bad, 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 so bad kind of thing for you. But exactly. yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah, stress is what drives dopamine. But I guess it, I guess you could differentiate by stress and then chronic stress. Chronic stress is when your your cells are inflamed and things start to go wrong. <laughs> um, so I mean, you're back in Somerset now. Um, is that because mm -hmm. of coronavirus, or did you go before kind of everything started shutting down and whatnot? Or so when we had this um, this third lockdown, they closed the gyms, which is obviously my workplace. And that was just before Christmas. So I actually was going to come home for Christmas just to see my family just for seven days. And so I only brought seven days worth of clothes with me and I ended up staying. And now it's been what? It's February now. So it's been over two months. So is there any anticipation of heading back? To the city or what's yeah. the what's the idea i am i am gonna go back very soon actually um it's just that i've been so productive here <laughs> i've just been getting on with stuff and it's been great so i haven't really seen a reason to go back because obviously it's quite busy in london it's, it's also quite difficult to exercise outside because mm -hmm. there's so many more people it's so much more dense in that area you know there's like big apartment blocks so you've got where i live is next to a canal and you've got loads of people just running along the canal, crashing into each other. <laughs> Whereas here, yeah, I can go on a run and I just might see one person. So it's kind of worked for me from that for now, ironically. When you when you say you're working in the gym, in what capacity are you kind of working yourself? So my job, my day job is in membership sales. So I sell gym memberships to a very fancy, expensive, lovely gym. <laughs> um, but it, it's become such an interesting role because... To be honest, it sells itself so well that people would just purchase it anyway. Um, but it's it's finding out what people need. I find it so interesting. There's such a spectrum of people that you meet. And most people, you start to notice patterns in people. Like, for instance, most people I meet, they'll say, I don't have time to exercise and stuff. But when you dig into it, it's not that they don't have time. There's always a really deep reason. And it's usually like fear of knowing what to do. You know, they don't have a routine that they know well or they're intimidated by something or, you know, there's always something you can dig into. It's a, so I've kind of learned not to accept people's first answer. And that sort of goes for mental health as well. Like, you know, when someone when you ask someone if they're OK and they say, I'm fine, there's usually something. If you just ask one more question, there's something you can dig into. It's just I just find it super interesting. And I mean, are you able to then kind of play on that to, you know, I guess, lead, you know, someone signs up and you've already asked these questions and you've kind of developed a picture of who this person kind of is behind who they are. Do you then pass that on to the PTs or kind of people who might be working with them? Yeah, and, you know, exactly. yeah I basically prescribe the best thing for them. 
so we have we are lucky that we have such an enormous range of stuff we've got yoga classes we've got primal flow classes we've got weight training classes like all the things you could possibly imagine and some of the best pts in london as well um and it's surprising like some of the people who've never seen the value in pt before will go for it and will go for like the highest paying package because suddenly when you change their perception they understand the value of it um yeah people always surprise you and it's just really really interesting and I used to see something because I'm someone who's not from London and who's not from like a high income family and stuff and doesn't, didn't earn loads of money. I didn't see the value of it properly, but it, it kind of just flipped that whole narrative for you because you get some really high earning people who will just quite easily spend three grand a month on, on fitness. <laughs> and then you get other people who are just like, wow, this is way too expensive. And it's, you know, that you're showing them the same product Yep. It's just two completely different mindsets and it's so interesting. <laughs> I love it. So so where did the um Instagram page kind of come about then? Like how long have you been onto that? When did yeah. you start posting stuff and your information come well, from? That's a good question, actually. So I I kind of I've blended it in different things over the years. I used to just share travel pictures, but it started to kick off when I started talking about my mental health when I was really struggling. And suddenly I had all these people starting to relate to me, like for example, um, I was talking about my experience with antidepressants and how they completely just sort of my doctor prescribed them to me without asking about any lifestyle factors. And it turned out that for me, exercise, sorting my sleep pattern and sorting my diet was way more effective um, than medication. And I was just interested if anyone else had had similar experiences because there's no there's no problem with medication at all. Like it is life changing for some people but the rate at which it's dispensed is quite scary. And I didn't realize that until I started posting about it on social media and just like loads of people describing the same story. So I just found a way that I could relate to people online through that. And then I started Brain Gains um, when I started studying neurobiology. So I don't have a degree in it because I didn't, unfortunately my mental health was so bad when I left school that I was, I just couldn't focus. I couldn't do anything. <laughs> So I quit college. I didn't, I don't have um, A-levels, which is what you need in the UK to get into uni. Mm -hmm. So I just started studying online, like not for a qualification, but just for myself. And I started studying neuroscience and neurobiology. And then people started to find it interesting because I was translating it for them because it's, it's such a difficult subject, <laughs> like oh. the clinical language. <laughs> Um, being able to cipher studies, things like that, people just don't have the time or interest. So I just translated it into normal sort of layman's terms and suddenly it started to kick off a bit and grow. Yeah, I mean, my my ears got, I mean, obviously working with people for, you know, 15 plus years with my own clinic, but, you know, most of my stuff would be geared around exercise rehab. So people coming back from, you know, yeah. injuries and things like that. And so most of the kind of mental health talk was never really there. It wasn't kind of a part of the um, conversation. But when I started writing my book, um, and the story is in my book, um, but I, I wrote the book primarily to help my sister um, lose weight. And, um, you know, yeah. it, it was quite successful for her. But as I then started talking to more and more people who were having troubles with their weight, the mental health side came up so much more because, you know, I'd be working with someone for two or three months and then, you know, walls would start to break down after two or three months as yeah. we felt more comfortable with. And so people would share more and then they, you know, start sharing stories of whether it was physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and different other kinds of abuse. Yeah. And then how that led to them having certain behaviors that then went down. And so 
I'm very open to say that, you know, if you came to me 15 years ago and someone was overweight, I was very much that guy that was like, well, you're just lazy. Just start exercising more and stop Mm -hmm. eating so much. And, you know, being in the last five years, it's very much opened up my eyes and I'm a much more empathetic person because of it. Um, So when someone does come to me and is presented to as a client, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? How can we help? What's going, you know, why can't we? And and so I came across the book um, Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And it fundamentally, fundamentally changed my view on um, mental health um, through the, I guess his, I guess the book's called Lost Connections. He uses the idea of, you know, we've just lost our connection with each other. You know, we're, we're social beings um, and we love being in a tribe and, you know, we could always rely on that tribe, um, you know, yeah. back in centuries and thousands of years ago. Um, and I just found that fascinating. And I've, now because of coronavirus, you've seen it play out firsthand of just how, exactly. how hard we deal with the fact of being separated from people. And I mean, I can talk to you through a, a, a computer screen here and I could see my parents or my friends, but there's nothing that kind of feels when I I'm there with you. I can feel your energy. I can feel, you know, exactly. how you're going that day and actually draw upon that. And, you know, I think I still, yeah. I'm myself, and I think I shared this with you, um, that, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm a very upbeat person, but even I started to suffer quite a bit through our very yeah. long lockdown that we went through. And I thought, how on earth, if I'm a very, you know, level-headed person and I'm starting to suffer, if someone's borderline or is depressive already, oh my God, yeah. they must be really doing it tough now. And so have you started to yeah. see that yourself? Um, you know, with your own mental health, but also people around you in, in London, UK, you know, and all around? Definitely. I'm starting to see a lot more people listen up to the kind of stuff I post now. Even even bosses at my work and stuff, they're asking me for advice. And I feel like I feel so well equipped now with this sort of toolkit of things I've learned over the years from having severe depression and panic attacks. Um, I've now got this immense toolkit of things that I can use and like quite selfishly I've, I've been absolutely fine I've been loving life but it's because I actively look after my mental health every single day and I know the signs of when things are going wrong um but it's quite interesting really like since learning more about neurobiology I now find it confusing how people separate the brain and the body like mental health and physical health because when you look at I mean I'm sure you know a lot of this already but as a, as a when you look at the central nervous system you've got your brain and your spinal cords, 100 billion neurons in the spinal cord and 86 billion neurons in your brain. And they're all constantly communicating with your peripheral nervous system. So, you know, for example, going for a run, telling your body to move, it's your central nervous system, your brain telling your body to do that. So when you have a dysfunction of your central nervous system, you know, when things start to go wrong, when you feel a bit depressed, your body cannot function as well. It's all its all like a sort of chicken and egg scenario, like whichever one comes first, they always bounce with each other. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like, I still find it confusing now how people talk about it separately when it's actually the same thing, you know, when things start to go wrong. Is, is there, I mean, mm. for yourself, but I guess what you've started to notice in others as well, and for, I guess now people listening in, you know, always like to give them something that they can, you know, maybe draw upon that was a gold nugget that, you know, that, that will stick. If someone's kind of sitting there listening to this now and you said, you know, there's definitely always signs and, you know, people maybe just not pick up on them that they're starting to go yeah. down a, a bad pathway. Are there physical signs mm-hmm. and or mental signs that people can kind of like, yeah. oh my God, yeah, I have been feeling that, that or that, or yeah, you know, it's something that they can pick up on. 
Yeah, so the first one I would say, and this is something we can talk about a bit more later, is listen to your, well, I, I want to say listen to your gut. <laughs> but if you have tightness in your stomach and the way you're digesting food, and if you're like, sounds really gross, but if you're constipated, you're going to go to the toilet, that is a classic sign that you are either under chronic stress or you're suffering from anxiety in some capacity. Um, your appetite as well. So you might be not hungry for ages and then suddenly aggressively hungry. And this can be the hormones that are playing around um, to do with to do with your mental health and things like leptin and ghrelin. Um, they can be affected. So your fullness or, or how hungry you get can be deeply affected. So if you notice any changes in appetite, that's a really good sign to look out for. The other one is like chronic tiredness. So if every little small task you're doing is suddenly exhausting, that's a classic sign that things are going wrong. Or if you're really hyperactive. So basically any behavior changes that are slightly different to what would be normal for you. You know, if, if you're acting out in any kind of different way, it can be a sign. Um, but then when you're looking at other people who you might be looking out for, it's very hard to tell because some people are so good at masking it. Like we try mm. very, very hard be like I'm okay I'm fine you know it's especially in men yep. <laughs> men just don't speak as much as women I think. so it's much easier for them to sort of repress it but there's a lot of data on that actually repressing your emotions can really actually dampen the function of your immune system so there's so many like neurological signs you know it's just looking out for these little little things and and then acting on it so it's, it's mean, figuring I out where to start as well I guess that brings up that Sorry, next kind of pathway is that, you know, yeah. if someone is starting to feel or they've been noticing that, yeah, they're just feeling exhausted, even though they're getting a full night's sleep or they're you know, getting that mm -hmm. tightness in their, um, their gut or, you know, they're, they are constipated or whatever it might be. Um, what would be some of your, yeah. I guess, takeaways of, okay, well, you know, you are feeling this, you're acknowledging it. Well, now what, what do I do on day one? Is it, you know, seek immediate yeah. help straight away or is it, are there some things that you can try to do to lessen it before kind of going down that route? Where would they go to next? Yeah, this is kind of what I like to help people with because obviously it's a very scary and it's very intense thing to actually go to your GP, go to your doctor and get help. It depends on the level of things. It might just be that there's a couple of lifestyle factors you can change and then you'll be good. Or it might be that you need a bit of, you know, CBT therapy or something else or medication but for most people the best place to start it, when you look at all the lifestyle factors diet exercise etc best one to start with is sleep and we get quite confused about it a lot of the time because sometimes like when I was deeply depressed I was sleeping sometimes 12 15 hours a night or other nights maybe three or four hours so it, we equate um, sleep sometimes with how much sleep we're getting, but it's not necessarily that, it's the consistency. Mm -hmm. So like the optimal sleep is around 7.58 hours, but you might be getting that, but you still might be getting a bad quality of sleep. So actually, surprisingly, one of the easiest ways to regulate your circadian rhythm, which regulates sleep, is to get sunlight, so natural light, within the first hour of waking. And this is something that a lot of people have lost in the lockdown, especially here in London when the weather's bad and yeah, we've lost sure. our commute. So you, don't, you don't really realise the full benefits of your commute to work in the morning. It's getting that sunlight through the retina, which literally sets your circadian clock. It's as simple as that. But when you're not getting natural daylight, so you might be falling out of bed and just going straight to your work in your home, you're missing out on all those benefits. And you're also, when you're not moving, the exercise is another one. 
when you're not moving straight away in the morning, your cortisol levels can be very, very high and exercise is a good way to regulate them. So if you're just not doing that, if you're skipping that sort of morning routine, that is a guaranteed path for things to start to go wrong, honestly. Yeah, have you ever heard of the um, book 5am club? Yeah, yeah, I saw your post about that actually. Yeah, so I mean, I, again, I, I, I audio listen to books. I, I always say I read books, but I haven't read a book in my life. I, I hate reading, but I love audio books. And so I listen yeah, to too. the book 5am um, club and it's something I preach not only through my Instagram, but um, to all my coaching clients and any kind of client in it. Um, I think one of the main issues that I find with people who are feeling really lethargic with, you know, that they call it Monday-itis or I'm always down on a Monday is it just that they get out of that rhythm, like Monday to Friday, it's bang, bang, bang with work, they get up, whatever their kind of routine is. Saturday, Sunday comes about and it's just all over the place. And so come Monday, the body's like, hang on, where am I? What's going on? And so just hitting that routine day in and day out. Now I preach 5am club because yeah, get up, get going, get physical, do something for your mental health, do something for your physical health, get productive, get going. Um, and I'm big on you know, what you were just talking about, vitamin D and the links between vitamin yeah. D and mental health are huge. Um, and just getting that routine and rhythm um, going is so, so powerful for you. And you hit on yeah, those two things it. as well. Yeah, the, the circadian clock can be thrown off so easily. And it's not the same in Australia for you guys at the moment, because it's winter <laughs> here. Um, really mess with melatonin, our melatonin levels, which is the hormone that makes us sleepy in the evenings, because it's not released in the right way at the right times because of all the artificial light we've got indoors in the evening. And we're not actually seeing the sunrise in the morning and seeing the, the sun going down in the evening really start to mess with those hormones. Um, but yeah, in regards to the, the 5am club thing, in terms of actually waking up at 5am, for some people that is perfect, but it's about finding your sort of time. For me, that would make me quite ill and stressed out because I've done it before. <laughs> My optimal time is waking up at 8am and going to sleep at about midnight. That's just me everyone's different it's yeah, just absolutely. the fact that it has to be consistent and maintainable so for me on the weekends it's still maintainable for me to go to bed at like midnight still have a fun time have a glass of wine here and I still wake up at the same time every day whereas I used to go wild on the weekends and then wake up at like 11 or 12 and you just oh, you just feel so depressed <laughs> like this half the day and is there so a more so much time to get back is there a more important one that should be consistent on? Like, is it better to be consistent of the evening or the, the morning, like the waking or the sleeping, or it doesn't really matter, try and be consistent on both? Like if you had to pick one, like is it better to get up the same time every day or go to bed the same time? I would say both. It's like the chicken and egg again, isn't it? One affects <laughs> the other. <laughs> but um, in terms of starting, it's very hard to force yourself to go to sleep in the evening when you've had a messed up sleep routine so start with the morning one it might be painful the first time but get up get outside immediately what I do actually is I have a reminder on my phone so everyone has a wake up alarm or some people do but not many people have a like go to sleep alarm I have yeah. an alarm that tells me to start winding down an hour before bed but it also reminds me to put a bottle of water by my bed because you, you wake up quite dehydrated so I wake up have that water immediately go outside before my brain's even slightly awake I just walk outside into my garden um that's another thing as well actually we could talk about morning routines so much but the other thing is checking your phone in the morning because when you wake up your brain's in an alpha state in the, those alpha brain waves which means it's very susceptible to whatever you give it 
in that first hour of waking. Interesting. It's very impressionable. Um, so by constantly looking at our phones, our screens, scrolling, liking things, it teaches the brain to be quite reactive because you get those little little bursts of dopamine here and there. And it teaches you to react and react and react. And it doesn't teach you to, to be calmer and to respond to things in a calmer way. So that in itself can actually cause chronic stress in some people. It's really interesting when you dig into it a bit more. Well, I mean, um, it's... So yeah. It's interesting you even bring up morning routines because last week's podcast was all about my five steps to mastering your morning routine and pretty much yeah. everything you've ruled, you know, you've already said then I've already, I, I kind of you know, highlighted last week in that, you know, we're so yeah. dehydrated, make sure you have that water, make sure you get up at the same time every day and go to bed the same, yeah, but pretty much everything you're going through there. So, I mean, this is going to flow in really well from last week's um, podcast. Yeah, and yeah, I, having that emphasis on it. I never used to see it as that important, but when things go drastically wrong, like they did for me, you suddenly realize this really is important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the analogy I always use is if you, I mean, if you're just a, a pilot of a, you know, a single engine plane, the checks and balances yeah. that they have before getting onto that plane, you know, it's check the fuel, check this, check the wings, check, like there's check, 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 check. And that's before they've even started to actually exactly. turn the plane on and get going. And I use that analogy all the time is like, when you wake up, you got to check all the engine lights, make sure everything's going. Like, don't just kind of jump into your day and just turn the plane on and go. Because what happens if there's things that aren't functioning properly, you haven't checked over. And, you know, it's exactly right. And what you're saying is that, you know, people just think, yeah. okay, I wake up. Okay, I'm awake. Let's just go. But there is so much, um, you know, damage that you can do, yeah. but so much good that you can have by what your routine is exactly and you are in control of that you're the pilot <laughs> um and j just to kind of like close off that bit i think it's like a lot of people think it might be very difficult what we just described and very overwhelming and oh, a lot of stuff to do a lot of steps you know got to remember my water but it will become to play on your pilot analogy it will become autopilot <laughs> it becomes so easy i barely even think now in the morning it just happens yeah and so, yeah, I mean, the, the, okay. the analogy I always come back when people try and push back to me and say, you know, I, I couldn't remember all of those things and I, I just couldn't, you know, get, you know, is it just think back to when, I mean, I don't know what the kind of age limit is for you guys, but, you know, think back to when you were 16 and you're getting your learner's plates when you're driving. Like first time, and mm. obviously these days, most cars are automatic, but when I was growing up, it was all stick shift kind of thing. But like, think about, there was three pedals to think about, the indicators, changing gears, looking behind, everything that was going on and you were so overwhelmed being behind the wheel. But if you think about it now, you just get yeah. in the car and you go, you're like, you don't even think about it. And so to your point, exactly. is it just repetition, 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 and it just becomes part yeah. um, of your daily routine as, as simple as brushing your teeth is every day and every um, night, exactly. you just kind of do it. Yeah, what you're describing is neuroplasticity. So like on a, on a neurobiology level, when you're doing that, when you're learning to drive that car, it's all that processing is in your frontal lobe, which takes so much blood flow and energy for your brain. It is genuinely cognitively exhausting. And then with practice, with time, your brain learns how to fine tune that and it moves those processes to the basal ganglia, which is your autopilot, literally part of yeah, your brain. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. We just fine tune it. We are we're machines. Like we need to be kinder to ourselves. We're really yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> we are very cool. Humans are cool, and I, I try and preach that to you know we're we're a marvel of the natural world, and yet I don't think we give ourselves enough credit sometimes. <laughs> we need to give ourselves a fair chance to do it. We need to present ourselves with a good environment to be able to improve. <laughs> I'd love to hear your kind of I guess your 
your knowledge and your two cents on, I guess, you're connecting the food part of it all. Because I know we were talking a bit yeah. about, you know, food and your mood and kind of how much that can affect mm-hmm. it and kind of, I guess, the connection between the gut biome and how that kind of then affects um, the brain and things like that. So, yeah, I just love to hear, you know, again, just some nuggets that people can take away. Is it, you know, if yeah. that tightness that they're feeling in that um, tummy and the kind of constipation that, you know, could be coming from chronic stress. And obviously you spoke about yeah. some of the things we can do to help that, but are there some foods that you can be doing that can kind of help um, with that and help you feel better and help you operate better? Definitely. Yeah. I personally find this so interesting to get into and it was such a game changer for me when I found this out. So 95% of serotonin. So just to clarify what serotonin is, it's kind of, it's the tr- neurotransmitter neuromodulator that helps control our mood but it helps give us a feeling of like satisfaction so whereas like whereas dopamine is the the neurotransmitter that drives action it makes us want to go for more things it makes us want to like get that sports car and you know it's it's driven by purchases and exciting things serotonin is the one that makes you feel very calm and happy with where you're at so it's just a sense of overall kind of like calmness and equilibrium 95 percent of that is created in your gut so sort of in the gut what it does is it it makes you feel satiated so it makes you feel food uh, sorry food it makes you feel full and it also stops you from getting food cravings it helps you with digestion um nutrient absorption all those things but in the brain so there's a connection between the two where they connect it helps with your mood anxiety you know mental focus and feeling relaxed um but it's quite interesting because still even still not a lot of people relate it to that because we can it's just quite interesting um so i can list a few yeah absolutely yeah go for it yeah i'd love to hear it (laughs) yeah so you can obviously google it you can find lists of food they're all over the internet but just a few obvious ones um it's it's the amino acid tryptophan that you're looking for that is the pre precursor of serotonin that creates serotonin so tuna, salmon, eggs, um, sorry, I'm just reading this list here. Yeah, yeah. Turkey, beef, poultry, cheese, black seeds, pumpkin seeds, lentils, oats, soybeans, chia seeds, love a good chia seed, um, beans, spinach, spirulina, you know, so they're all kind of just whole healthy foods that are very, very high in tryptophan, which can help with this neurotransmitter. So, and are they, are they better if they kind of connected with other foods like did they, are they more potent if having with something else or is it just that particular amino acid that if you're getting that in with that food is is enough as yeah, itself definitely. to kind of get that reaction yeah the thing is with gut health it is so, so complex like if you took someone who was chronically stressed and just pumps them full of all those foods they still might not get the result they want because there's so many factors I don't want to overwhelm people with this, but it's like, for example, the amount of pollution or the amount of like plastics and things you might consume from the environment can affect your gut health, but also sleep and exercise. So it's a constant continuum. Like you can, there was a study a couple of years ago that showed that you can change your entire gut microbiome. I think it was within six to eight weeks with the right exercise plan. So it's not just about the foods that you eat. It's all these things because to take it back one step further um serotonin is the precursor of melatonin the hormone i mentioned earlier yeah which is um it's synthesized from melatonin which is what helps us regulate our sleep so you might be eating 
all the spinach all day long, but if your sleep pattern is off, then you're still not going to be producing serotonin in the same way. So it's it, it's very it's kind of difficult to like prescribe. <laughs> yeah. Do this, do this, because I don't know someone's individual situation. It's just looking at everything as a whole, really. Yeah, I mean, it's I a. That. I know the kind of gut health, um, gut world kind of has really kind of not taken off, but is beginning to really become an important kind of part of the conversation um, these days. And I've had a couple yeah. of guests on who have talked um, about it, and it certainly came to my attention. I don't know, it was probably through four or five years ago um, when I was having a chat with a particular client. And this client's one of those people that just has random things that they read. Like, it, you know, he's, a, he's in the IT world, but he'll come to it and he's like, Adam, I read this article on the weekend and it was all about space. And did you know, and he'll go off on this space tangent. And the next week he's talking about donkeys in, donkeys in the Himalayas kind of thing, you know? And he's just like, did you know there's X amount that kind of thing? So it's all over the place. And this particular week he comes in um, and he talks, he's, I've got something for you. It was a fascinating research um, article that I read. And it was all about... Um, how this particular, and I'm never going to say this correctly, but I'll, I'll paraphrase it as best as I can, but it was um, this particular okay. parasite that um, lives inside cats. And the reason oh, yeah. it lives inside cats is because they poo it out or something and it's something to do with the mice stay well away from it, but they're able to kind of um, trick mice into um, feeding them a certain thing so they wouldn't be affected by that particular whatnot. And so they were actually drawn to cats and they're almost kind of committing suicide, oh, even though wow. they knew it was this from just from the food that they were feeding them. And then they had the other kind of, I guess, control mice and they were feeding something completely different. And they were very much alert to that's a cat, that's danger kind of thing. And it just, it was fascinating to think that one thing was changed in these mice. One just wanted to run towards the cat, even though it would mean certain death. And here's this other one who was a normal kind of mice. And I think that's just fascinating that food can have such an impact on your gut that would then talk to your brain to say run towards a cat kind of thing so yeah. i was just i just thought that, and that's kind of just where my ears got perked to kind of gut exactly. and whatnot so yeah yeah it's so interesting how interconnected it is but also on the flip side I, I like to caveat with telling people that it's not just about those foods it's so many things because it kind of leads back to where i saw your first instagram post all these kind of health people have popped up now with eat this, eat this, eat this, and your gut will recover kind of thing. And it's quite, it can be a little bit um, misleading or disappointing for people when they're, when they really are mentally ill and they're struggling <laughs> and then it doesn't work for them. So it's, it, you know, I don't want it to be like disheartening for people when it's not just the food, it's like just, just constantly checking yeah. in with all these different things. Um, but there was one thing, one thing I wanted to mention actually, just a really interesting study it was one of the biggest ones that's ever been done I think it was in Australia actually I have to check but I'm pretty sure she's Australian um it's a lady called Felice Jacker she's really cool and it was called the smiles trial and what they did was it was a, a randomized control trial which means you have two groups of people completely randomized it's like the gold standard of trials so one is the control group they just carry on with their normal lives and one is the group that does the study and the study was they put these people on um, a modified Mediterranean diet for 12 weeks. And these were all people who were severely depressed and had various mental illnesses and like biomarkers of mental ill health. And within 12 weeks, some of them had completely gone into remission from severe depression. 
just from the just from going on a Mediterranean diet and a less inflammatory diet. So in their blood, they were showing that they had less inflammatory markers that make them depressed. So it was just really cool to have that solidified in science because by having that, it makes doctors and GPs and people take it seriously. You know, you need that like solid data to be like, okay, this actually is a treatment that is just as viable or if not more viable than some medications. So super interesting. Absolutely. I I mean, I think the new, and I don't, I, I always preface this by saying, I don't want to shit on the old establishment of GPs that come through because there's plenty of fantastic ones out there, but it's just obviously from where they're coming from. But it's great to see a lot of new age kind of doctors mm-hmm. these days who are very much more open to yeah, alternatives rather than just here's a pill, kind of take the pill um, kind of mentality. And so, you know, I think people are getting a, a yeah. better a better practice of health um, because of it. Um, and then it's not exactly. just, okay, here, here's the medication, just take that. And so, you know, let's look at other lifestyle factors, whether yeah. it's your food, your sleep, your exercise habits, and kind of let's kind of bring it all together and see how it all kind of works out to kind of help you and I guess get a better outcome for the, um, the person kind of coming to them. Yeah, exactly. They're, start, they're starting to see it as serious treatment, as multidisciplinary treatment, rather than just an alternative medicine. Like even with exercise, there is such an enormous amount of data on how incredible it is for your mental health. And it's just, it's so good that it's out there now. Well, there's um, a couple of governing bodies now around the world that um, that's titled exercise is medicine. Um, And as you said, like there's not a, there's not a drug on the planet that can kind of have the effects without the side effects um, that exercise does. And so, and it's, and it's dose, it's dose um, responsive in that, you know, there's different levels um, that you can do and different intensities and different things that you can do at different times. And is it cardio? Is it strength? And so um, there's so many different things that you can kind of do. And, you know, it being part of the equation, I think can really help out um, people. And there's, you know, what you've highlighted today in the other areas of sleep and um, the quality of the food that you're having and all the different things that were spoken about today, I think could really benefit people that are listening in to kind of help with their mental health, um, whether they're, you know, depressive or whether they're just feeling a bit anxious or whatever kind of level um, of the spectrum they're on. I think, you know, hearing you from myself um, as a point of view has certainly been very interesting. And so I'm really hoping that people listening in have found, um, you know, something that they can pull from it and kind of really help them out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess the thing I want to highlight is that, like you said, you're someone who's never been like predisposed to depressive symptoms or anything but you st- you felt a bit shit in this time and I think some people are still surprised when because they've been healthy their whole life mentally healthy and they think you know that's cool that's me that's who I am but we're so plastic we're so malleable to our environment and our situation that anyone can become mentally unwell at any time and it's just yeah it's just learning that it's it's actually quite fun and easy to manage when you get there with it but when you start to la- lose control it, it becomes quite overwhelming then so yeah absolutely and um yeah again i really really appreciate you um kind of sharing so much of your information you know you're a wealth of knowledge and so i really appreciate it. and considering you've i guess gone and done that on your own i think that's a testament to yourself oh, to kind of um, the amount of uh, reading and research you've done um you know your knowledge base is incredible on that and so i, I really appreciate you sharing that with us Thanks. Yeah, it's been about seven years worth. So I actually could have done two degrees by now, but whatever. <laughs> probably got a, you probably got a I doctor in it by uh, by yeah. that kind of time with seven uh, seven years in it. So. <laughs> um, 
what I always love doing just to kind of wrap things up with every guest, if you don't mind indulging me, is I've got a quick fire five, which is just five questions I like asking people and just getting your uh, immediate response. Ooh. Go on, hit me with that. Excellent. So um, <laughs> first one, beach or snow? <gasps> beach at this moment in time. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, if you could see one uh, event, would it be in the future or past? Ooh. <gasps> Wait, what kind of event? You mean like things that have happened to me already? You could, or? No, you could see the dawn of you could see the dawn of time, the dinosaurs. Or you could go into oh. the like I, it doesn't matter. Is there something that uh, has happened in the past to yourself or just in history, or is there something in the future you would rather travel okay. to and see? I know the answer to this. I would go back to the past. I think it's 1985 and and see Freddie Mercury perform at the Live Aid concert. Amazing, That's exactly. Very cool. <laughs> Um, one food for the rest of your life. You don't have to worry about its nutritional value or its calories or anything like that. What's one food that you have for the rest of your life? Oh, God. I'm going to say, and this is kind of a cheat answer because it's an ingredient of food, tiramisu. Interesting. Tiramisu. Interesting. Good answer. I don't think I've ever had that answer. I like it. <laughs> um, family... <laughs> um, family, friend, famous, dead or alive... Who would you like to have for dinner tonight? Oh, well, it's going to have to be Freddie Mercury again. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, great response. <laughs> <Thanks for> Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want you to go super selfish on it. Everyone always says that they'd spend time with their family. You've done that, but you've been given 24 hours left on this planet. You can do anything you want in that 24 hours for yourself. What do you do with that 24 hours? I would... I would probably be on an island somewhere somewhere in Thailand or in Southeast Asia. I would 100% be in the sea and actually somewhere where I can surf. <laughs> Not that I can surf well, but that is just like the thing I am absolutely craving the most right now. <laughs> I can imagine That's the depths of winter in the UK um, being inside. That would definitely be somewhere that would be top of mind for sure. <laughs> but yeah, uh, exactly. We have a beach here, but it's just mud. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, I've just moved west, and so um, we're now in um, Perth, Western Australia, and I've I've lived my life in Melbourne, and Melbourne has some beautiful beaches, um, but Perth, I have to say, um, they are spectacular. Um, and the water is very warm, so yes, I'm uh, I'm very happy to be where we are. But um, Louise, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, again, it was great, it was fun, it was informative, and I really um I really appreciate your time, and I'm sure people listening in are going to uh, pull something from this, and so yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My it's absolute really pleasure. Um, guys, if you want anything on um, Louise herself, I'll put uh, her details in the show notes before. Uh, sorry, um, just below in the show notes uh, of this podcast. But guys, that's been another episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I will see you all next week. I love you all. Bye.